Welcome to the best of seven. I'm Kyle Coster. That's Stephen Douglas. We're coming to you hours after the latest episode of Succession called Retired Janitors of Idaho. And boy, let me tell you, this one was a classic. A lot of different things going on. We had everybody basically in one room trying to solve a situation with an unreliable Logan sidetracked by medical issues. In the other room, you had the shareholders waiting to hear some news and potentially vote and finally take some agency in control of the company going forward. Then you also had the unseen hand of the Sandys. We're talking about a dynasty. One can speak, another speaks for him or potentially for herself. A new power player, a new power broker is going to be high up on the list. I thought that this episode was really good. And I'll say something a bit controversial. I think that my experience with this one is I found myself rooting for the Roy family more than I typically do in an episode. They were kind of presented as the good guys, if you want to reduce it down to that. Logan incapacitated them all banding together, the fringe characters like Frank and Carl and Jerry, the older liables who we all love and we've talked about many times on this podcast, they figured out a way to get this done together. And really, if you want to count Kendall's contributions, smooth talking the other side of Stewie, then everybody was involved in this victory. And I kind of enjoyed seeing everybody pulling all in the same direction sands their own individual naked ambition, which they were able to largely put aside. What were your top level thoughts about this episode? Well, it's kind of like with Arrested Development when, I mean, every every individual scene when, you know, all these one-on-ones are great, uh, plenty of one-liners and all that stuff. But there's just some, a different energy when like the entire family is in the room together. And this entire episode was basically just the whole family in the room together. And that's including all the Royco people. There's possibilities for every single person to interact in some way. And everybody gets to have a line. And it's just, it's, it's fun. It's fun to have the whole gang together. Even if Kendall, Kendall's still in the building, looming. And, you know, he just gets to pop in and swear at people and say, what is going on and get shooed away. So, yeah, I, it was it was a different energy for this episode um, than it has been so far this season. And it was it was enjoyable. It's always good to have the whole gang like like on the boat, you know, where it's just limitless possibilities and good times are had by all. And it kind of seemed like this was kind of the capstone of this first half of the season. Then you want to count the finale of last season, that storyline of Kendall versus his father. Obviously, this one ends with Kendall being summoned to a room for a no-show meeting. (laughs) And then Logan asking that this number be permanently deleted from his phone. So obviously, we are going to be headed into a totally different direction in regards to what the plot point is going to be for this show. And 
I, I think that the timing could not be better. I think that we kind of got exactly as much content as we could have got out of this particular arc. And I'm excited to see what they do in the second half going forward. That's a long way to say that I think that the balance of power on the board really got reshuffled. And just like every single week, we're going to power rank the seven characters or entities from this succession episode in the quest to figure out who is the most likely to (laughs) succeed. Number seven on our list is Roman Roy, or if you'd rather Logan light, the next generation of Logan. Now, Roman wisecracking episode kind of on the fringes very loyal to his father was very comfortable in not taking the deal wanted to stick up with that but when rubber met the road and he had to make a decision he was okay acquiescing giving in budging on the private jet sticking point which was hilarious and then I think this biggest moment of this particular episode was fielding a phone call from an upset president who has been backed into a corner because of ATN's coverage, raising questions about his mental capability, and therefore has decided that he will not rerun, opening the door to, I think we can safely assume, a democratic presidential administration that might have more of an appetite to prosecute and make a statement through the DOJ for this right-wing conservative media mogul family. And he tries, he does his best impression. He's trying to, you go into the call with ultimate confidence that like, oh, this guy is gonna figure out a way to do it. And he comes close, I thought. And even to the moment where he hangs up the phone and basically says, well, he's pissed (laughs) or something to that extent that he was a failure. I thought that Roman, he's never the first person you think of in crisis, but he has a particular skill set and personability through acidity like his father that's going to get him in rooms looking eye to eye with the most powerful people who harbor the same type of personality themselves, and he'll be able to punch in that weight class. Your thoughts on Roman and the phone call from the president, which I got to say included quite a lengthy period of him being on hold and potentially the possibility that they were going to just decline to talk to him altogether. Every single second that that went on was very enjoyable to me. Well, that's another one of those things that the show does so well when someone has to do something and there's a group of people who don't want to do it, trying to, uh, and they're all they're all kind of capable of doing it, but no, this is nobody wants to step in front of that bus or take that bullet. Right. And just the way that they they're like, well, actually, I think this person will be great for it. And Roman got to step up this time. Uh, nice to watch him uh, talk to the president. It's it seems kind of wild, you know. Just I mean, that's not it's not a normal person thing. Obviously, the Roys are not normal people. Just where he's like okay, I have to talk to the president and uh, deal with him deciding not to run. And the like, do you think the people of Fox News watch this episode and they're like, this is the power we have. This is, w- this is what we can do. The Roy- through the Roy's, all is possible. Yeah, I mean, we basically says that the whole democratic experiment or repu- the experiment of the Republic is being wielded through these shadowy rooms where you can see yeah 
the level of ethics and morality that is being adhered to. Uh, some of that passing the buck where it's funny that you mentioned where there's something that needs to be done. Nobody wants to do it. We got the embodiment of that a few times during the speech on stage <laughs> where Frank was initially giving it and then he spotted Jerry and it basically became a hot potato. And then the moment where good news was to be shared, Carl suddenly came to life and he had a bubbly effervescent personality. I thought that that was really great. Last thing on Roman, another week, a larger gulf emerging between Roman's feelings and Jerry's feelings. We had Jerry backing a horse very publicly that was not named Roman. We had Roman for maybe the first time showing outward public signs of being done with Jerry. Are we ready to go ahead and put the nail in the coffin in, in that whole storyline? Do you think there's a chance that that magic gets rekindled? I mean, never say never, but I, it's probably, it probably ran its course. Maybe they didn't feel like there's that much potential, especially if Jerry's more of a, uh, now they're, especially now they're vying for like the same position pretty much for the top of the charts. Yeah, I, I don't know what else there. I mean, do you want to watch Jerry and Roman go out on dates and, you know, get engaged and have that be the next uh, season ending wedding? I'm, I'm okay with uh, Jerry and Roman just, you know, maybe maybe a little more attention now uh, is, is what the show needs. Yeah, the, the less you know about the Jerry's, the Frank's and the Carl's of the world, the yeah. better, because the only thing that matters is what they do at work. Number six on our list is Tom Wamsgans, who took some time out from getting deep in the prison blogs to participate in real life. And I thought that he had a really strong episode. I thought that his participation in the decision-making was subtle, but he did take charge. His voice, his voice was certainly every bit the equal of everybody in that room, except maybe Shiv. But I also think that he plays a really good number two to Shiv. At one point, he kind of stopped the proceedings while she was doing something else and said, can we get her back in here? So he's a tremendous teammate, which makes him, you know, a stomping mat for a person like Shiv. But I thought that he showed real signs of life. One of the things that the show does really well is I believe that Tom really understands and takes seriously his role at ATN editorially, understanding what they do, what power they have, and being smart about it. And we saw that at play. I think that Tom is oftentimes a punchline, but I do think that he has a real level of competence. And we saw, I know that Logan was out of mental state, mm. but he did rely on Tom a lot. Him calling him son was undergoing that episode. And Tom saying, Papa, was <laughs> unbelievable. It kind of is the second straight episode where he tells a character exactly what they want to hear from that fatherly figure, only he does it for reasons that are not altruistic and are certainly not genuine. Yeah, uh, Tom, his, his position at the company uh, pretty much completely rests on, you know, whether the Roys are in power. So it's in his best interest to keep the Roy's there, obviously. He he does have this like calming presence. He's kinda he was kinda 
very uh, calm under pressure, cool, you know, a little, you have some Tom Brady going on. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know how else to say sure, it. It's, sure. it's, it's, it's both kind of, he says the right things kind of in like a kind of weak way, you know, so as not to like put anyone off, I think. I don't know if that's intentional or if he's just like, you know, trying not to ruffle any feathers. But yeah, he he did a good job. I don't know. You know, you wonder who Logan thought he was when he's asking him to take him to the bathroom. Um, you know, it could have been anybody. It could have been some long lost son that we, we don't even know about. Um, but yeah, Tom, he, he did well. And then, you know, he's got the whole thing with Shiv where he's also, you know, preparing himself to go to prison. And, you know, he must have read on one of the prison blogs that, you know, right before you go in is a great time to get your lady pregnant, <laughs> which uh, Shiv didn't really seem to appreciate. Yeah. Gross miscalculation there. You could kind of see, he explained it. He basically said, look, I, I need this. This is, this is going to be really hard for me. And it is going to be really hard. If any one of us was like, Oh, a nine to 12 months in prison, that's no picnic. No, Shiv has never really seemed like someone who is too upfront and honest about her cycles. I can't imagine <laughs> she's aimed to maximize her fertility. That was super weird vibe. Um, I was kind of like, when he first started to make a move on her, I was kind of like, hey, good for him. He still has his passion. He still is finding a reason for living. He is kind of getting off on this uh, power play between the two of them. And it could, is going to be like a great Robin going forward. And then he had to ruin it by basically <laughs> uh, revealing that like a medieval prince, he had been charting the, the course of, of the nights through, uh, through moon phases to decide when uh, it was best to try to create an heir <laughs> for the empire. And it did not go well. Yeah, and Shiv doesn't really strike you as the uh, the motherly figure, you know. I mean, I think there's there's gonna be some uh, Livia Soprano there, if if they ever do have kids, right? Um, and that was when he was putting the moves on. I'm like, you're sh this shareholders meeting, you know. I I've, I've been to a, as in our in our line of work, we don't go to a lot of conferences, but my wife, you know, she goes to conferences. And they're held at big hotels and there's all these people and the fact that they were able to get into this, this big lobby and just like kind of make his move without a single person walking in, it took me out a little bit. Yeah, Tom and Shiv don't seem destined to uh, have a child together. No, and I think that's probably a good thing. Although I do think that Tom would be a good father, Shiv. Uh, mm -hmm no interest in being a mother. Look at her own relationship with her mother. I don't think there's too much to uh, extrapolate that anybody can't see with their own eyes. Number five, a surprising pick, a rarity on this list, but it is Connor Roy. Now this dude, <laughs> I got to say, I really appreciated the way that he swept in, wanted to speak to his father. Shiv tried to play gatekeeper. And he told her off right to her face and he made a real aggressive move and stood up for himself, put Shiv in her place. Then he maximized the opportunity with Logan by asking 
to be head of a European cable news channel, which on paper doesn't seem like an enormous role when you have the other brothers and sisters of this family competing for the top jobs. But in reality, it's kind of like the first time that he's ever shown an interest in being involved, being in that room, eventually being a voice that matters when it comes to the next time a situation like the one that presented itself last night occurs. Here's the answer he wants to hear from his father. I believe what happened here, and we can debate this. Here's my reading on this. I thought that he asked for something. I thought that his father, Logan, did not give a committal answer at all. He didn't want to be bothered with it. And Connor basically just took that to mean yes. And then when Logan had the episode, he basically saw his opportunity to say no. He definitely said yes. And he was of sound mind at the time. What did you think of this? And is there a little part of you that has some respect for Connor for getting down in the slop and the mud and the mire and finding an angle? Well, you wonder what Connor's motivation is. Um, maybe Willow wants to uh, put on a play in somewhere in uh, London. <laughs> so he's like, well, you know, I'll just set up the European news division and we can move over there. Um, yeah, you don't really know. That's an interesting uh, thought that he kind of just did it himself without Roman uh, or without Logan giving him the okay or the position. Um you know, it's some, some of that Game of Thrones stuff where, you know, nothing's written down. It's been said, you don't know, unreliable narrators. Same thing with the Sandys. Um, you don't know what's really being said in those conversations if you don't actually hear them. So, he, you know, Connor's got a, he's got a big stick right now. And, you know, he's, he's, he's swinging that thing around. He's, uh, he's saying, watch out, you know, I'll, I'll hit somebody with this. He now apparently has a job, but I don't think his uh, his siblings think he has that job. They're like, no, 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 that that didn't happen. And if it did, it, it was not a he was not of sound mind. He's largely a joke. He's largely a punchline. He's kind of a doofus. He's slightly dim. He doesn't understand what's going on. But he is family, and he's a Roy, and therefore he is afforded the opportunity to fall upwards and never pay the price compare that with greg who i think shares a lot of commonalities with connor greg essentially burned by everybody he knew this episode kendall who is not on our list i will say for the first time but a lot happened mostly bad for him kendall made the threat that he might have to burn greg in like a psychopathic way uh just not registering that what that was going to do to Greg's life. That type of stuff, those type of consequences never come from Connor. In fact, one failure is usually chased with ill-gotten or unearned elevation and financial benefit. Whereas anybody who's not a Roy becomes the scapegoat, largely gets ruined financially or is given a small sum of money to basically forfeit their dignity. So I think that there's some commonalities between Connor 
and Greg, and they were on full display this episode. Yeah, maybe it was hearing about the pri- no more private jets that he's like, well, I need to get somewhere now. Um, yeah, he he definitely is a he's he's an amazing fail son. You know, we just we love we love watching Connor work. You know, what else can you say? You can't. He's very subtle. Number four, a precipitous fall for our man Logan. I mm. st- if this was college football, he would still be in the playoff, but we'd be worried about what's coming down the road. Now, the pill thing. Got to be honest, not 100% sure I followed all the logic. It seemed to be that if you get if you're older and you get a UTI, that can mess with your brain, but then we also heard that if he didn't take his pills, then the, it, then the like the fogginess could come in. Long story short, it's two straight episodes in which he's had a health scare. And last week, you correctly and smartly pointed out that that's kind of how the series begins. So that wouldn't have been the opening scene of the series if it wasn't going to be an ever-encompassing plot point and thing to consider behind the curtain. Here's the thing. I think that he was going to make the wrong decision. Everybody in the room wanted to take the deal. Much like with the FBI where he was maintaining a hard line until he absolutely couldn't, he's never really had to like give in and face the consequences of his actions and fold his hand. So it's super weird. And I think that he was going to push too hard. I think it was going to go to a vote. I think that they were going to lose. I really do. I think that Kendall kind of saved the company by pushing for a deal, leaning on Stewie. But in Logan's absence, I think we learned two things. Number one, good decisions can be made. He, <laughs> number two, any decision can be made. And really, that's the paralyzing factor is for all this episode, they're like, oh, we can't do anything without dad. Well, they got their get out of jail free card on that one because they realized, look, he literally can't help us. We have to do this. I think that going forward, this presents a world in which they understand they don't need their dad as much as they thought that they did. Like I talked about at the top, them banding together, figuring it out. There's a lot of competency in that room. It was a total team effort. It was sort of a bullpen game where everybody got out there and contributed a little bit. I think that ultimately they made the right decision. I think that Logan's more pissed off at the end of this episode because it wasn't his decision, not necessarily that they made it. I think that he can kind of see and feel the handwriting on the wall. He hates to feel impotent. And how could you not feel impotent after hallucinating to the point where you think that there's a dead cat under your chair (laughs) that needs to be removed? Oh, I've forgotten about the dead cat. Yeah. That's it's he's totally lost it most of the time, or at least some of the time. And I mean, this is one of the things going back again to the first episode where like nobody wants to really con- seriously consider what happens when Romans or when Logan is gone, you know, or when he should be benched. And Kendall maybe is the uh as the oldest or the alpha or whatever or the most greedy, just power hungry, that he's the only one to, that's willing to say what needs to be said at some points. 
as bad as Logan looked at times, you know, you've you still got Roman and Shiv like deferring to him when he's clearly incapacitated. And they just there's just this constant fear of, you know, this is dad. Yeah, he's he's not doing well now, but he's gonna come back. He's like he's kind of like the Michael Myers of uh of Waystar, you know. Every time you think he's dead, you know, he's he's back and he's got the big knife and he will kill you. And this is something that has happened multiple times where he looks so weak and then, you know, he gets the he gets his cortisone shots and his uh, UTI meds and, you know, he's no longer the piss. He's no longer piss mad. You're you're exactly right. And there was, you know, you a couple of times they talked about the piss king. And did, did they say piss king or do we just say it talking? No, because... they, there were a couple of references to the piss king. And you mentioned game of Thrones earlier in the, in this show. And it kind of felt like there were some allusions to game of Thrones that were overtly piss yeah. king, like the mad king making bad decisions. Like they kind of laid it in a little thick. I appreciated that. Like you said, when Logan is cornered, when Logan has a moment of weakness that is undeniable, he tends to redouble his efforts, get even more aggressive. I think blocking Kendall's phone number is about as strong of a move as we've seen him make. And really, he doesn't need him anymore. With this deal reached, he doesn't need the participation Mm -hmm. from Kendall Certainly not for the shareholders and going forward. Like, why does he need Kendall Kendall showing up in that room and having his brothers and sisters say, you're not welcome here in a very awkward and painful scene. They were speaking for their father who couldn't speak in that moment. And they were 100% right. So I do think that Logan is, He's going to be even more emboldened. There is the looming issue of the DOJ investigation. How aggressive can he get with that? Who is he willing to burn? It's going to be fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, you wonder how many more times they can uh, do this with Logan with the, with the uh, poor health. It's a, it's a reality for this character. He's uh He's in rough shape. He's not the uh, strong young bull he once was. And I don't know, maybe they'll just keep finding interesting ways to uh, make him sick. I mean, the giving him a UTI and them not making him take medications, that was like something out of house. Um, some weird condition that nobody would be able to figure out. And I th- and also maybe you wonder how, if they just thought of the uh, the term piss mad, and found out that this was a thing and then because the number of times they said piss mad was it was quite a bit it was funny every time what what are they gonna they gonna have him fall off a motorcycle next you know well or an atv on the next corporate retreat you know tune in next week to find out yeah i can't wait yeah he is uh yeah it's beginning to feel a bit like jackass with logan uh, for octogenarians. Number three, it is my great pleasure to say that number three on our list is Frank. Frank, our man, our guy. 
He was informed that he was going to be nailed to the cross and he went out there with a smile and he did it. He vamped. He changed the words of Shakespeare to say much further ado about something. He went long. He was the consummate pro when he had nothing else to say. His eyes flashed over the side and saw Jerry. He made the savage move of calling her up. He was absolutely incredible and he, he was poised. The show didn't show us any evidence of him struggling. I think mm -hmm. that we're meant to assume that it all went well up there. Maybe he was a bit boring and maybe the retired janitors from Idaho and other remote places were growing a little bit tired of his long diatribe, but I don't think that this was a choking situation. He seemed to handle it with a plum, much like Jerry did after she had to give a speech following the one that she had written for herself, which is pretty wild. Um, I think that Frank's competency is unbelievable. He's a major decision maker. At the beginning, like you go back to the go back to the very one of the very first scenes last night was him getting a hold of Kendall, giving him the update about Logan wanting to press this to a vote seeing the handwriting on the wall that that could be disastrous and getting that back channel going to advert future disaster. So from top of the episode to end of the episode, even though his speech was interrupted by a shouting and angry Logan, Frank was the glue that kept everything together as he always is with the proper demeanor. And honestly, I'll say it again, it feels like this company would be in such better hands if he was the one behind the wheel. It was awesome to see him get a standout episode. And at this point, if he does anything to let me down, I feel like I'm going to take it very hard personally because he is without a doubt my favorite person on this show. Yeah, it was a very good episode for Frank. He showed he was very competent. Um, he was very versatile. Um, you know, he does things behind the scenes and then he can even step up and be the forward facing uh, voice of the company, um, getting up there and, and vamping, as it were. Um, I think there was at one point in the middle of his uh, first crack at Jerry's speech where uh, uh, Carl came on stage or he tried to introduce Carl and Carl came out and he's like, nope and left so that's when the uh, much ado about something came back and then you know you, you feel bad for all these janitors how how far did they travel to watch frank work uh try out some new material and just sit there and listen and then when jerry comes up she talks for a little while and then when she left the stage a video of jerry talking was played I mean, this, this, the Waystar Royco shareholders meeting, despite the uh, beautiful spreads of uh, deli, deli meats that they were putting out at the beginning of the episode, it just, it doesn't seem like a lot of fun. But yeah, Carl did a very good job. Uh, you, you know, you didn't get to see it, thank God, because uh, how boring would that have been for us to listen to uh, him talk about something that didn't really exist mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In, in our own world. But, you know, good for Frank. Um, who knows if Logan will care? He probably will not. Uh, nothing will change for Frank. 
but you know he he was able to he probably went to bed and you know had a good night's rest yeah rough run for janitors in this series you go to the baseball episode in season one one was offered a million dollars if the sun could hit a home run a few episodes ago watches were out because even janitors even retired janitors had watches and i think that it's just reflective of how little the family thinks or cares about the shareholders and the so the you know they think of these people as idiots they think of the people who watch their television network as idiots that can be programmed to do anything i mean that reflects real life but yeah i mean they don't you think they care at all how boring of a presentation that was like that is a necessary ends to a means and they were filibustering up there but even if they were going to have a meeting that was talking about how great the company was they know that they're just in their mind they're always going to be talking to people who are just don't need to be involved in real conversations at all so i think that like part of frank droning on and on and on i don't even know if the people in the room realized that this was any different programming than standard because they're probably all that dry and dull the whole point the whole point of the shareholders meeting is just to make these people feel like they have a voice like they're part of this thing besides the fact that they've you know put their hundred dollars or whatever into uh their stock and it's all just show and everything is going on behind the scenes and they probably were excited, you know, oh, we might get to vote on something today and, you know, actually have our voices heard. And then eventually, while Frank's up there, you know, trying to soft shoe, they're, uh, <laughs> they're having the power taken away yet again. Yeah, unbelievably bad beat. They got no satisfaction. Number two, it's a tough list to make. And I don't know how everybody's going to feel about this, but we have Shiv at number two. Once again, I felt that she was the driving force in that meeting without Logan. I thought everything ran through her. It ran through her with the accompanying disrespect, the frustration from people, uh, all the warts that we come to see when it comes to Shiv. But I do think that she was the loudest voice in the room. You throw on top of that Tom wanting to play the role of Robin to her Batman, I thought was very good. I think that she took the point. She took the reins. She will make the big decision that needs to be made. She back channels with Sandy with an eye, cooks up a scenario where she is going to get a seat on the board, something that she's always wanted, something that's going to come for power. Now, ultimately, is she going to get that? Is she going to be overruled? We'll see. I do think that she will emerge with it. I thought that she made a good deal for both the company, for her family, and herself included. And what did she do wrong? I mean, she went against her father. But I think that it was the right thing to do in that situation. Back-to-back episodes, we've seen Logan dispense with the kid gloves he's often used to deal with Shiv and treat her uh, like every bit the business person or like he would yell at Kendall, stuff like that. The equal opportunity rage monster has come out. I thought that she had a really good episode. 
she does seem slightly out of her depth. There's a disconnect between how good she thinks she's doing and how good she actually is doing. I think she's an extremely volatile character. Things could go a lot of different ways for her. But as we sit here halfway through the season, she's the most powerful child. We assume the successor is going to come from within the family. And she just seems to be the odds on favorite to me. If big caveat here, the Roy family can retain control of the company. Your thoughts on Shiv after another episode that asked her to do a lot of things and step into a lot of different roles. Some went well, some went poorly. Well, I think she has an idea of what should be done, what she needs to do, but she, especially when she's in the room with all the people, she kind of delivers it like, can I do this? Even though, you know, in, in theory, she's, she's the president now. She, um, right. That's her, that's her title president. Well, I don't, I think that's her, I think that it's her title. I think okay. that the, the title is immaterial too. She basically has carte blanche to do whatever she wants. That doesn't piss off her dad, which she ultimately did do. Yeah. She definitely, uh, upset Logan. He, you know, who knows what would have happened if, he had been fine that day, um, but Shiv, you know, did what she wanted to do and which was, you know, best for the family in this case, uh, whether or not Logan likes it. Who knows at what point she's like, well, I can use this to get my seat because I don't think she had she had mentioned that to him, but who would she mention that to? You know, it's probably been in her head a while as the negotiations went on and she's like, well, I can I can take the take advantage of this. And she, she got her seat for now, um, just like she has her presidential powers for now. Um, you know, it's kind of, she's kind of making it harder for Logan to get rid of her. What, I mean, it doesn't ultimately mean anything because he does what he wants. But, you know, for now, Shiv is, she's in a very good spot, you know. She's, she's, she's making moves and she's controlling Tom's, uh, his biological clock she's putting her foot down and you know she's very quick i mean tom wasn't very uh smooth about it but shiv kind of sniffed it out real quick like what exactly are you doing so you know shiv's in charge she did very well for herself and now she will just wait for the consequences there was a beautiful back and forth between her and Sandy with an eye where Shiv essentially said, I just do what my dad tells me to do after Sandy with an eye had delivered that line, which I mean, awesome, tremendous writing, but also like the character of Shiv pretty magnificent. I think that they realize that they're both kind of doing the same thing so that there's some respect, which brings us to number one on our list. Very surprising for the second straight week. Last week, we had the shareholders. The shareholders, not on our list. <laughs> Things change very quickly in this world. But at the top this week is the Sandys. The older male Sandy, his daughter, the female Sandy with an I aforementioned, their relationship. So we have, it's pretty clear that the first couple episodes of this season took place back to back to back with very little time in between over the past three or so 
we are meant to assume that maybe a matter of months have passed. There's definitely some time in that time. Sandy with a wise health has deteriorated to the point where he cannot speak very audibly. He relies on his daughter to be the conduit. And he's, a, he's apparently grown even nastier and more vindictive in decline than he was in happier times. I think Stewie at one point categorizes him as a very angry vegetable, which is not PC, but paints a pretty bleak picture about what's going on. In the course of trying to drive this deal, he was very petty. The private jet stuff, crazy. The veto stuff on the royal on the Roy family member, maybe not petty, but certainly brought to the table knowing how provocative it was. In my reading of the situation, I thought that they called all of the shots in this in this negotiation. They got capitulation on a lot of stuff. They got an extra seat. Yes, that might be balanced by something from the Roy family, but I thought they did tremendously well. Now, I like I said before, I think if it goes to a vote, I thought that they were going to win. So maybe ultimately they lost by deciding to settle, or maybe they got all these concessions without the fear of Logan pulling another rabbit out of his hat as he has so many times. But I thought that going forward, they have asserted control over this company to be every bit the equal of the Roy family, if not more so. And a lot of that can be based on how much Logan is going to be calling the shots going forward and how much his daughter or his support staff are going to be doing, knowing that they already won one negotiation against them. Your thoughts on the Sandys? It's it's an interesting dynamic. Um, it kind of has shades of uh, in, early in season one when Marsha was doing all the talking for uh, Logan while he was laid up. Um, right, right. To the point where it's that unreliable narrator and you, the people involved, don't really know exactly how into it um, Sandy with a Y is. You know, he's just he's whispering who knows what into his daughter's ear maybe she's and roman even calls it out he's like is he just your meat puppet which um goes along with the nirvana theme for the season um you know nirvana very famously covered at least was it one or two songs from the meat puppets on uh on unplugged backwater still slaps i love that song oh yeah the meat puppets were awesome so, you know, it's good to have them back in our lives. And they're, they're most important really for uh, having Stewie because Stewie's one of the best characters on the show. So we need him hanging around with just anyone that's involved heavily. You wonder how much power the, the Sandys and Stewie really want. They, yeah, they probably would have won a vote, but then they'd be the ones in charge as, you know, Waystar is having all these problems. Um, it's probably in their best interest long-term to let, uh, to let the Roy's sort this out and take all the falls. And then maybe they can get out safely with their golden parachutes. So, you know, we'll, we'll see, but yeah, the Sandys definitely 
and again, like when we thought the shareholders were in charge last week, and then we saw how how little influence they actually have this week. Um, the one person that was involved in both was uh, Stewie. Yeah, he is the straw that stirs the drink. But I think that you make a really good point as we finish up here. Yeah, maybe they don't want to be in full control. Maybe they realize that their best case scenario is remaining in the shadows, letting the Roy family take all the slings and arrows well behind the scenes, getting all these concessions, chipping away, working the money, getting those, they got those legal fees paid for, which is very significant. I think that they are kind of at this point, like a remora on a shark. This show teaches us that absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we shouldn't expect the Sandys and Stewie to take a back seat, especially an episode after they're flying out and courting Josh Aronson and winning another public battle. But in the real world, it's a really good place for them to be. And you want to know what? They're not in the crosshairs of this investigation. So I think all things considered, that's why they're at number one for us. I don't think that we think that it's all going to work out for them, hunky-dory in the end. But I would certainly rather be in that room than the room that featured Frank giving a buzz toast and ending in rage from Logan. Well, since you brought up Josh Aronson, um, I prepared a statement to apologize for something I said last week. Um, I'd like to issue a public apology to Josh Aronson. Last week, I misunderstood something that I saw at his home and wrongfully accused him of things. Uh, I saw an out-of-focus tan bathing suit and assumed the worst. I'd also like to apologize for comparing him to Aaron Rodgers, simply because he needs a shave or a tight-fitting cap and had Aaron somewhere in his name. There's no proof that Josh Aronson is an anti-vaxxer or even knows about the Joe Rogan podcast. As far as we know, the worst thing he tried to do last week was exhaust an old man to death in the name of capitalism. Thank you. Strong words. Um, thank you for delivering them on this platform. Yeah, it was a, it was a rough week. The Arison Hive um, was active and unrelenting with their criticism. Mistakes happen. Um, you know, Kitty. Kitty actually is a child, his daughter. And it was just that he was pretending she was sick. Yeah. Well, lies begat more lies. And that's something that is true each and every week on Succession. We're going to be back here again next Monday as we enter the second half of season three. It's going too fast. Where does the time go Look forward to that one. Steven, thank you very much for joining us. Tomorrow, Liam's coming on. We're picking football games. We love to make those picks. Check out my show, The Kyle Coster Show. It's named after me. Keep flipping on over to the big lead each and every single day. Your patronage allows us to buy food for our family, which is extremely important <laughs> because we are not shareholders in the Waystar Royco Empire.